Hello, my name is Kayla. And my name is Camille. And this is Living Two or More, a podcast where we interview people who are biracial. We talk about identity, family traditions, belonging, and so much more. This has been a passion project for Camille and I for years. Life got in the way for a little bit, but we are so happy to finally release these episodes. Each episode will also include a check-in with the person, since a lot has changed for all of us. Thank you to everyone who encouraged us to release these episodes. It was an honor to talk to all of these people. Thanks and enjoy living two or more. We had the pleasure of sitting down with Britton Washington. She was completely open and honest with us during her interview. She runs Portland Equity in Action, a community organization that confronts and disrupts white narrative centering and white complacency in Portland through advertising. Please enjoy episode three of Living Two or More and follow Britain's work on Instagram at pdx.equity.in.action. Thank you again. Yeah. Yeah. Really awesome. Um, so just, I guess, first question is what is your ethnicity? Um, I'm black, but, uh, I'm, my mom is white. My dad is black. Mm -hmm. So I identify as black. Yeah. Did you grow up in Portland? Yeah. Yeah. I did. I was born in Honolulu, but, um, been here since I moved here second grade. So what did I turn seven in second grade? I'm thinking. So it might have been six, six or seven. Cool. Were you born there? Like, did your parents just like randomly live in Hawaii? Um, my yeah, my um, my mom lived in Hawaii her whole life. So my her parents moved there when my mom was five, and she grew up there and stayed there and had me and my two sisters. So she was there for thirty years or so. Um, and my dad is from Alabama, and they met, you know, kind of randomly in a period my mom was traveling, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then he came back with her to Hawaii. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. Really with us. So, yep. sweet. Um, so what, sorry, what brought you to Portland? Like, was it a job or family? Uh, no, my parents got divorced. And uh, my parents got divorced when I was five, and then my mom just brought my sisters and I over here uh, within a, within like a year and a half. Um, we had some family up here, so. Um, okay, well, you said your dad is black and your mom is white, but you identify as black. So what does that mean in terms of like family traditions, or would you say cultural? Well, I identify as black because um, I will never experience being white. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So like no one would ever look at me and think that I was a white person. Mm -hmm. So uh, personally, it just is kind of like to identify for me as biracial or as mixed or as white and black kind of like is just essentially being like anti-black in a way and is like just kind of like fighting against it and trying to like get myself closer to whiteness for like for like by denigrating my blackness in a way because yeah i mean you look at me and you could tell i'm black (laughs) so um people treat me like i'm black Mm -hmm. and no one will ever i will never be treated like my mom so that's the other part 
Oh, just family traditions. Well, um, that looked like it in your family. Mm, well, <laughs> <laughs> I was raised by uh, my mom and her parents primarily. Uh, my dad was around the beginning part of my life, mm -hmm. uh, but his job, he was traveling for most of the time. Um, so, but then they divorced when I was five, so I was pretty young, and um, he's not been in my life since. So I've been right. My my two sisters. And I were raised by white people mm -hmm. um, in a white family uh, in white Portland. Yeah. <laughs> um, so as far as like traditions and regular, just, yeah, <laughs> it was, yeah, I wouldn't, I would not um, say my family was very cultured, which is kind of a bummer, mm -hmm. but it's. Definitely, they fit the whiteness stereotypical. Did you yeah. realize that after the fact, like when you're older, that you were raised a certain way? Um. Yeah. Well. Yeah, and no. I mean, I realized that I was being raised with an absence. Of, like, I realized at some point when I was still a kid, probably that had my dad been around or had we been were we to be raised like around my dad's side of the family too there would be an added part yeah. of uh like culture or traditions or who, you know like who I was that is different from what I was getting so I don't think I mean it wasn't like I was able to like analyze that but I like did recognize that there was like something missing or like was able just to realize that it would be something extra if it were different mm -hmm. um but yeah looking back it's definitely like <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. I definitely realized that it's I was being raised like specifically with like the absence of preparedness for my lived experiences mm -hmm. throughout life I think I don't want to like cross any like lines so tell me if like you don't want to answer but since you like say that like when people look at you like they just assume you're black do your siblings also have like the darker skin or it's like were they more like your mom or no we all um we're all fairly um i mean we're all light-skinned um but like none of us we all are pretty like similar in terms of like complexion and, mm -hmm. and stuff but both my sisters uh still straighten their hair a lot there is that i mean actually most of our lives it was kind of like the opposite like i my hair is totally natural like i don't mm -hmm. relax it or straighten it anymore and both of them relax their hair and like flat iron it and my older sister will wear like you know extensions and stuff so Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think people, no one would ever look at either of them and think that they were white. Yeah. yeah. But, um, probably, I mean, I'm sure mm -hmm. most people would be able to figure out that they're yeah. mixed at least mm -hmm. like black. Um, but there could be some people who think that they're something other than mm -hmm. black as long as it's not white. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I only ask because my sister has a lot fairer skin than I do. Uh -huh. My mom is very, very dark in complexion compared to my dad who is white. Uh -huh. So 
I know she's had like different experiences mm -hmm. based on yeah the color of her or the lightness of her skin color. Yeah, I um yeah, it's interesting. Well, when I when we were little, I was um I guess like I was lighter skin than both of them. My both uh, I'm the middle child, and Bree and Brooke both um are they both have a lot darker hair and like eyes than I do um and when I was really young my hair was like blonde and I have like my body hair is still blonde and some faces and stuff so that's kind of different um from them so growing up there was like that like colorism aspect a little bit where I like learned that in a way like I was luckier mm -hmm a little bit um but now it's different not i mean it's not like i mean we're all adults and we don't live together and we're not like you know so i don't really know what it's like for them on a daily basis but um definitely i'm more visually <laughs> like yeah black i guess i don't know so yeah. which is kind of like an opposite do you remember when you were little and you had the longer hair mm -hmm. ever being mistaken for a different ethnicity other than no was my hair is still very curly okay um, <laughs> just curious but uh when i was a teenager in high school and in like my early 20s i would my hair was always relaxed and i would straighten it all the time mm -hmm. so um I would get mistaken. The only other thing is like people would mistake me for being like Mexican or yeah. Latinx in some way, I guess. Um, I would have Mexican grandma sometimes would come up to me in stores and start speaking Spanish to me and get really upset that I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Cause they thought I was Mexican yeah. and they were mad that I didn't speak Spanish. <laughs> that's um, not okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but that's really the only, um, time it's been like I'm mistaken mm -hmm. you know like yeah yeah so coming here from I guess Hawaii which I mean a lot more people are darker skinned um did you kind of notice when you moved here that maybe it took a while because you're seventh second grade um that it was more of a a whiter environment yeah I mean when I was in Hawaii I was too young to like actually really like recognize mm -hmm. that kind of stuff mm -hmm. um so coming here it wasn't like uh, there was no like real realization that like oh wow this is so different from where i came from but there was at some point like a realization of like oh i'm the only one of me Mm -hmm. The only person who looks like me in any room I go into. So besides, unless my sisters were there, but then I was still like very singular. So, you know, they're like extensions of me. So it wasn't them being in the room didn't make it all that much better. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, in school, did you ever like have incidents like, I don't know, outwardly maybe ignorant slash racist people yeah so, or just like your first moment about, yeah like i don't fit in or i mean one of our other podcast guests was talking a lot about um being in school and having friends mm -hmm. of obviously like different ethnicities and they were she considered them friends but like there were just these comments that just yeah had like a tone of it was weird because it was this paradox of like being a friend, but then like, what would you say? Yeah. I don't know. Did you 
Um, yeah, well, I probably first noticed like before being socialized, like in school, because like I said, I'm me and my two sisters were mixed. Um, we, none of us are white passing. So, uh, we would always like people just in public with my mom or my grandparents and stuff. Like it was, um, it probably took a while to catch on to that for me, but, uh, pretty young. Mm -hmm. I, because it would happen so often, um, people would not like my grandparents or my mom everywhere we go had to explain the, these are my daughters, my, Mm -hmm. no, my real daughters, Mm -hmm. my full daughters. These are my grand, they are our grandkids, like for real, you know, like we, no one adopted kind of a thing. Um, so that happened a lot. And then, well, I mean, yeah, in school, <laughs> I mean, Portland, yeah, it was, I, I grew up in, um, like, kind of northwest Portland, but, like, uh, the Washington County side of Portland, so, um, in Beaverton School District, and, um, yeah, really, there was, I don't think that there was a day that went by where I wasn't reminded that I was black or that I was dark or, or wow. something or that my hair was nappy or that like I you know my like do your knees get ashy or like just like crazy things because because they could and um I mean people don't do that anymore you know yeah. what I mean but uh back then when you're a kid like you don't really fully grasp that but somehow you're getting these like horrible like you know stereotypes and just like racist like not even microaggressions but like full-on aggressions that they that like you repeat and I'm the only black person that they know Mm -hmm. or that they can communicate with about this so they would bring it to me and I was like I would have to you know um field all of that and how did you? How do you deal with that on a constant, everyday? Well, I mean, I was probably um, like elementary school, middle school, um, high school. There was a, li- a few more, but I remember I was probably like one of maybe five or six black girls in this entire school yeah. at any point in time. So. In high school, yeah, there's a, a few more, but um, let like maybe like less than one percent mm-hmm. <laughs> of the school yeah. um, uh, looked anything like I did. So um, you don't really. The only way to deal with it is to um, a be like allowing that in a way, and like internalizing racism in order to like make sure that these people who were my only option Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know what I mean like I didn't have a choice of who I was surrounded with so and as a like as a kid all you really care about is making sure you have friends or that you fit in or that you're surviving the school day Mm -hmm. um so um yeah it was a lot of you know oh, no, I don't care if you say the N-word around me because I know you're not saying it to me. That's fine. Like, it doesn't bother me. Like, I don't care, blah, blah, blah. You know, when 
it did bother me, but I didn't know how to talk about that Mm -hmm. um, or communicate that without losing friends. Um, And even looking back, there wasn't a way. Like there, I was guaranteed to lose friends had I not responded the way that I did. Um, And because I do it now and I lose friends, you know what I mean? Like, um, I'm just curious, Mm -hmm. um, like (laughs) growing up in a white household, because my mom is white Mm -hmm. and so she was like accommodating to talk about stuff with when I had issues like growing up, like not looking like the other kids, but she didn't like, she did as much as she could, but she didn't understand being a white lady. Right. (laughs) You know? So I like, I think about like what you're saying about your school experiences and stuff and what happened if you brought that home to your family? Did you feel like between your mom or your grandparents or maybe more your sisters, like could, was there a space to talk about that? Um, well, my sisters, I'm the middle child, so, again, like, my sisters are always way more, like, outspoken. I was the quieter one, you know, mm-hmm. so, like, um, they were always gonna, like, that kind of, I mean, I'm sure that, to some degree, that was happening for them, too, but they were much more, um, like, resistant to it, um, and... Um, so bringing it to them would mean, you know, um, they'd be like, oh, hell no, blah, blah, blah. But, um, (laughs) honestly, my, um, my mom, my family, my white family, they, in recent years, I've like come, like, I've, I've known this for a while, but I've finally like been honest with myself about it recently that they are just racist and they are very anti-black and they, but because we are like their kids way they don't see us as black so they can be fully racist and be like fully anti-black without and and but they but loving us and not caring or not seeing us like that Mm -hmm. absolves them of racism so there was no conversations about this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. um there was no preparation they didn't know they I mean I think there was one conversation I remember my grandfather I was maybe five or something like really young my and the only time anyone ever said anything to me like that um and he just said something along the lines of like well you know there are people in the world who might at some point treat you differently because of your skin color and that is all. That was the only thing we were told. Not what it might look like, not yeah. what to do, or not like, um, you know, how to how to um, identify it when it's happening, mm-hmm. um, or how to kind of heal from it. Um, so, yeah, nope, not yeah. not really. Okay. Yeah, they were completely oblivious to it. Um, they now as an adult talk having conversations with them about it it's very much like denial that that kind of stuff even went on Mm -hmm. um if that's what was modeled for you what what would you say the switch was a turning point where you decided like i want to be comfortable in my skin and to stick up for myself 
I don't really know. It wasn't like a moment. It was definitely just gradual. It was yeah. becoming like becoming my own person mm-hmm. and educating myself, mm-hmm. I guess. Okay. College and reading mm-hmm. books. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And, um, yeah, being able to just kind of curate my own, like, that was the other thing was there were no, like, models of success around me or uh, accessible to me growing up that who looked like me. Like, I didn't, no one in my family that I had access to resembled me even remotely. Um, and no one that wasn't like on anyone's radar was to like make sure that like we saw people who looked like us who mm-hmm. could be an example or who were um models of like what success might look like um and so just being able to kind of curate that for myself and go seek it out um uh i i think <laughs> this is, it's kind of it's weird it's kind of unrelated but um, my family is also very like conservative and religious and I'm an atheist and I've actually known like my entire life that I'm an atheist. And, um, it wasn't in high school. I finally was just like, I can't, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not going, don't ask me to go to church. It's not going to happen. Just like put my foot down. Cause so I remember being like in grade school and being like, no, <laughs> no, no, no. Um, so honestly that kind of fueled me. Um, that's probably just being able to like not pretend with that anymore is I think maybe a big thing for me. Cause I could, um, that was probably the catalyst to like, you know, um, putting some distance between what my family, um, believed or wanted or yeah. whatever. Yeah. When you were kind of just slowly figuring out like the person that you wanted to be and who you were like in your own skin did you find or do you have like a good community now like of people that get it um yeah I'm still really I mean I grew up here and Portland's actually very small if you've grown up here you Mm -hmm. know everybody who grew up here almost and um or you know somebody that they grew up with um and so I'm still very very good friends with a lot of people that I grew up with um like going you know 20 years now so um and most of them are white um and they're still great love them but they it was a process for Mm -hmm. them and a lot of it started with when my process kind of started, I think. Um, but, and like I said, I have lost a lot of friends, Mm -hmm. um, uh, like old friends and I'm not, it's not like I miss them at all, (laughs) but you know, cause it's, it's like the, when I was like realizing this and being like, you know, like I had word when I, once I had the words to kind of like confront what was happening to me, um, the ones who like, sat there and listened and continue to sit there and listen every day um are still my friends for sure and they are are figuring it out um i have made a lot of new friends so um it's been cool because i don't really find myself in a whole lot of um spaces anymore where that shit just happens yeah (laughs) to me you know Uh without where and 
where I don't have any recourse mm -hmm. in the moment. Yeah. So that's been, but I mean, I also know that that's kind of, I'm a little bit more privileged in that way because I've been able to like choose what I want to do for work and choose who I work with and when I work and where I work kind mm -hmm. of stuff. So that's a big one because for a while it was the only place left that I was ha kind of happening in. Like I don't even go home for holidays anymore because that shit happens wow. all the time. And my boyfriend is um, Arab. He's, Sa he's from Saudi and he's Muslim. So that also kind of there uh, when, you know, yeah, they're Islamophobic. Totally. Mm -hmm. So um, they, you know, they love him and whatever, but you're still, you know, you're still racist and we know it and you show yeah. it. So um, like w we're able to even be like, no, not gonna put ourselves in that position yeah. um so for a long time it was really just like at work in workspaces where you know I needed a job and I'm someone's employee and I don't get to choose who my co-workers are or who my bosses are <laughs> what do you do for work are you able to you have like a lot more freedom so like this freelance style stuff like if you make your own like you work for yourself or i'm just curious yeah you're really lucky <laughs> yeah i um i run portland equity in action Ooh. um so we did the pdx billboard project this is a funny way to describe it i guess i haven't really thought of it like this anymore but um portland's like such a passive aggressive city and um it's <laughs> we do like anti-racist campaigns in like the most passive aggressive way <laughs> possible um can you talk a little bit about uh portland equity in action, in action. i um, saw the billboard therapy i love them all of, all of them <laughs> um yeah well i mean um the biggest the only thing that the only reason anyone knows us is because of the pdx billboard project me that was like a nine month long project before it launched um but it was 25 billboards across from like St. John's out to Gresham and then as far down as Milwaukee. There was one in, all on the east side. Um, one of the main focuses was um, we worked with several families who had had um, boys killed by police in the last in like 2016 and 2017 in Portland so mm -hmm. well Portland Clackamas version um so we we've been working with the families um to craft this campaign and um we put we put up billboards with um Terrell Johnson on them who was killed by Portland police in May um May 10th 2017 and um uh Larnell Bruce was the only one who wasn't killed by police but he was um he was run over by a white supremacist couple and then we had a few more we had seven designs over 25 billboards so we had um uh three of the designs were tar were had pictures of um Terrell and Larnell on them and then uh we had uh we put up just like black lives matter boards um black narrative boards and um de-escalation not militarization and portland is your white fragility showing 
it was kind of um, dually meant to uh, agitate, but also um, like reclaim space for black people in Portland. So like I tried my best to to strategically place like the Black Lives Matter and the Black Narrative Boards um, in certain places. Was that funded just by the community mostly or? Yeah, I, um, I got two grants. Nice. I got a micro grant from MRG, the MRG Foundation, which is here in Portland. And um, then I got a bigger grant from the Sparkplug Foundation, which is outside of, which is out in New York. Um, and then I just raised the rest of the money. I threw a big silent auction fundraiser in December and a large chunk from that. And then the rest is just, I mean, we just asked for donations yeah. <laughs> online mm-hmm. and through people we knew. So That's great. Yeah. That's amazing. It was expensive. It took, yeah. <laughs> it took a while. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that campaign is over and, um, I have a board going up tomorrow at Portland State, Fifth and Mill. It's going to say disarmed, you because Jason Washington was just killed there by campus police recently. So, Do you mind talking a little bit about the reception that you got from the billboards, positive and negative? I I saw the negatives online. (laughs) Totally, sometimes, yeah. Curious about that, right? Yeah, yeah, especially here. Like how people reacted to it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. very curious. Well, so I run um, our Instagram and our Facebook page. So if anybody wants to actually read them, you can go to our Instagram. Um, I posted a whole bunch of. The emails, screenshots of emails that I would get from people because we put our, you know, we put our website and yeah. everything on, on there <laughs> yeah. for people to contact yeah. us. Um, <clears throat> and it was really funny because, well, we put our website on there. So there's like a comment form on our on the Billboard Project website and people would like, go to our website and find the comment form and they put their real names, their mm-hmm. full real names, yeah. real emails. And they didn't need to because you submit this comment form and it just generates an email uh-huh. to like my our email. And you don't, like some people understood that and like mm-hmm. didn't put their information or made fake names, but it was really funny the amount of people who actually gave us all of that. But <laughs> people were mad. People were really mad. And I wasn't, I mean, none of it surprised me. Not a single ounce of it was surprising. Um, I had a lot of laughs, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, but just because of how mad people, how mad people were. And like that kind of gave me some joy that yeah. I <laughs> pissed off these people. <laughs> um, but realistically it's actually not funny because that's where we this is and and i was i mean it was that was i wasn't planning to do that like i didn't i did not actually expect ahead of time like all of those responses to be mailed to me in writing um but they were and once i started like the first week wow i was flooded with emails so i was like I mean, I guess I can just post them, right? And I waited a few weeks because I wasn't sure 
if people would like it or if people would like, you know, see them like, like I was seeing them. And then I finally was like, fuck it. I'll just put it out. Mm-hmm. The negativity, you think, fully outweighed the positive feedback? Is that what? Oh, no. Okay. I mean, that, no. Like, that seems like, that, that, that's just. I mean, I get that Portland is a very white town, but they're also very liberal. So I would think that you would have like, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, as far as like emails went, um, the negative emails, definitely. Like I probably, it was probably maybe like mm, 20 to one negative to positive. But that was just because, you know, I mean, that was okay. We got I was able to gauge like people's positive mm-hmm. like um, reactions through people were following us on social media. Like I, mm-hmm. we didn't, I, I didn't, I created our Instagram page like like this, the day before, or two days before the campaign even launched. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that we could post them all, and um, yeah, so it wasn't like we didn't have any online presence whatsoever yeah <laughs> before that happened and um so we got a lot of support but um not like the actual emails that were generated yeah. and sent to me um <laughs> and yeah I mean it's Portland is yeah progressive I'm sure <laughs> I mean god it's I don't think that in Portland proper the negative is those negative like emails those people who are sending me those things are in the majority but uh, they are as soon as you step out inside of the city and then then they are the majority so Mm -hmm. it's it reflected a reality of this of oregon of this place that um a lot of people don't know or a lot of people forget or um never imagined or ignored yeah yeah Yeah. so that was good because it's you know it's been that like i've known since i was young that as soon as i go outside of portland or travel around the state anywhere else i go Mm -hmm. like i need to like be on a little higher alert and watch myself <laughs> kind of mm-hmm. so um but I, i've known that like almost my whole life here so and a lot of people of color who i know or that i meet nowadays have moved here from somewhere else and that's not i mean nobody is going to tell you that so mm-hmm. or if somebody told you that you didn't really realize that we are kind of like a white supremacist capital of the country mm-hmm. so right. what was your family's um reception to <laughs> i can't help but ask <laughs> did you tell them oh uh, yeah they know yeah it was bad yeah. it was not good they think that i'm being reverse racist mm-hmm. <laughs> which i mean we all around this table understand that yeah. that's not real uh-huh. um but that they you know they don't listen to what I say about race. Yeah. yeah. They were, they just didn't understand, don't understand why I can't um, be, oh, I can't something like direct my passions to, to like more 
for the authors are like more righteous things or something. Like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> I just <laughs> don't care. I'm like, well, it's fine. I'm Whatever. It yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I guess for like the people that took it in a positive, like, like, do you think they, I don't know, either before didn't realize it and now are realizing it or just like are aware can address their own like issues with it like white oh my god well no there are a lot to probably the majority of the white people who support what Portland Equity in Action does or like like all of my posts on Instagram or you know like saw the billboards and loved them and Mm -hmm. thank you so much for what you do or even some of them who probably donated money to me um have not done the introspective work that they need to be doing and they think that um it's like the like anti-racist work is always going to be is always left white people will always leave it Mm -hmm. to us to to people of color black women and my goal is just to change the narrative in a way or just not even to change it like there's you know people we've talked about that for so long but um I just was like well we just need to start doing it and like don't give people the option to join into our cause of changing the narrative because like why would they do that Mm -hmm. um let's just do it for ourselves and take up large spaces (laughs) with the narrative that we want um so Thanks again for listening to Living Tour More. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Living Tour More. If you have any feedback or your own story you'd like to share, feel free to email us at livingtourmorepodcast at gmail.com.